Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence. This is episode number 218. Welcome, my fellow maximizers, as we maximize our influence and success and our income. Give a few tools and tidbits to help you to be more influential. And you know the key. Get others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. Now, I'm recording this in the wonderful city of Doha. If you don't know where that is, that's in the country of Qatar. Qatar, depending on where you are originating from or who says it. I'm still not quite sure that I've been here multiple times. Love the people, love the food, doing some intense seminars here, actually seven days in a row. We're doing some train the trainer, some millionaire psychology, charismatic leadership, and increasing your persuasion IQ all in one, having a lot of fun, teaching some great skills. One thing I do notice that people here love to eat, and I'm always adventurous, eating some interesting things like pigeon and camel, and every once in a while, I think because we go late into the evening, sometimes we teach till 9, 10, even 11 o'clock at night, and the only thing open that's close to is Applebee's, so I've been to Applebee's too, and I love going to the Yemeni's restaurants, quite good, where they bury lamb and goat and other creatures, I guess you'll call them, with the non-bread. I don't know if it sounds good to you, but it's been very tasty and a lot of fun. And uh, you got to get over to this part of the world. Then I'm off to uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi to visit UAE or the United Arab Emirates. So that's what's going on. That's what's happening. Let's get into the geeky article of the week and we'll do the Urkel. Urkel, go. <laughs> so, as you know, when I do interviews with other persuasive professionals, influence engineers, whatever you want to call them. We always ask you, what is the worst vegetable and why? You know, I don't know if that's because of my childhood's cards with beets, eggplants, Brussels sprouts, you name them. I don't know. I eat my vegetables now. Usually, I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to get vegetables, but if they're on my plate, I'll usually eat them. And so this is an interesting one about vegetables from the Journal of Jama Internal Medicine. I'm like, okay, what's this Jama thing? It sounded pretty interesting, Jama. It's but as I Googled it, it's the Journal of American Medical Association, so nothing too intriguing there. But they found that the word choice, and we've talked about verbal packaging and how words can attract or repel people, and they found the same thing, but they found it with vegetables. And this was Bradley Turnwald, a graduate psychology student at Stanford University. His professor had done some research, and it showed that people tend to think that healthy foods are less tasty and less enjoyable than standard foods. And I'm going to say, well, duh. <laughs> I guess that's not always true. But they're also perceived as less filling and less satisfying. I guess that may or may not be true. I mean, some people are really into vegetables. There's other things I'd rather have. But I, I do, again, I've been doing better eating my vegetables. And his uh, previous professor, Aaliyah Crum, also at Stanford, found that labeling a milkshake as low-calorie that when people drank this milkshake as a low calorie, that they had higher levels of the hormone grillion. I guess I'm pronouncing that right. But when they knew it was a high calorie shake, and with this indulgent level that it was a milkshake, they didn't have the same thing. And so even though it was the same shake, milkshake, the way they identified it, they got hungry at different times. Isn't that interesting? 
So they decided to conduct this study in a large dining hall on campus and label certain vegetables, okay? Sometimes it was just a basic category, and sometimes it was more of an indulgent category. They had some things in the middle, but let's look at the basic versus the indulgent. Green beans. Eat your beans, right? We've all heard that before. Now, when they were labeled green beans, which is just a basic label, they looked how many people would take them and how much they took and how much they ate versus what they labeled it sweet sizzling green beans and crispy shallots. I had to look up shallots. If you don't know what that means, you can look that up. Anyway, sweet sizzling green beans versus just basic green beans made a huge difference. They found with the sweet sizzling and the crispy shallots label that people would take them and eat 25% more. Isn't that interesting? And with other vegetables, there was a 23% increase versus the basic labeling versus what they call that indulgent label. So they concluded that if we describe healthy foods as too healthy, that it discourages diners from choosing healthy options. And we know about verbal packaging. We've talked about it on this show. And this just verifies it with vegetables. How we package things, how we say things, makes a huge difference. Now, you can get way off the deep end with your labeling. I think some restaurants do as they describe their food, and you get it like, I didn't think I ordered this. But they found out with vegetables, just basically just enhancing it with the words you use can make a huge difference. 25% increase. Imagine in your prospecting, in your sales, in your negotiation, in your influence, just by the words you use in your emails, you can get 25% bump in compliance, in the yeses by using the right words versus the wrong words. So before we get into the content, let's switch gears and do our ninja, ninja go. We haven't done a ninja in a while, and that persuasion ninja is always good to talk about. And I was in Chicago, uh, it's a blur, was it two, three weeks ago? It was getting cold, and of course, downtown Chicago or any major city, there are beggars, <laughs> Okay. And this beggar was a ninja. Now, I didn't know if he was a professional beggar or was really needing it or just did it on the side. I mean, there's some beggars that make twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year just begging because it's tax-free. And he was good. Now, I did read a study a while back that the main thing for beggars, the biggest indicator they're getting money is eye contact. That's why we tend to look away, pretend we don't see him. And this guy was good. He made sure he would walk with you to make sure you got that eye contact. That was the first thing that he did. And then he would smile. And he was missing some teeth. I don't know if that helped or hurt. And he said, praise you. And he praised the person, built their self-esteem. You know, most people won't stop. Thank you for doing that. Even if you just talk to me and so much to me. And just praise the person up and down. So we had two critical things. Eye contact, praise. Then he used a little authority, let people know that he was a reverend. And he was earning money for this, this, and this. And then he asked for a odd amount. It was like $7.43 that he needed for this thing and this thing to help somebody else out. And that's the next thing. Odd numbers are always more persuasive than even numbers. The number seven is one of the most persuasive numbers. Again, the smile was something that he used. He made sure he didn't violate their proxemics or their space. He was a pro. He was good. I gave him some money just for being good because he is the ninja of the week. He just did it so well, probably because he listened to the podcast or probably he just learned it from experience. That is what happens. And so if you want to get really good at persuasion, becoming a beggar for a few days, few weeks, few months might be very helpful because you're going to really understand resistance and human nature. 
Now let's get into the body of the show and talk about some things that might upset you. <laughs> I had this question come up during a radio interview, and I've seen it through some of the emails coming in, and I hear it at seminars, and it's interesting because the question is, how can you resist or repel an unwanted persuasive message or attempt? You know, it's an odd thing when you're teaching influence. How can you stop someone from always manipulating you or persuading you? So let's talk about how do you resist persuasion? How do you resist manipulation? It's a real thing. And this is also good to know as a person or as a persuader. It'll help you resist these unwanted attempts. Now, as a persuader, you'll begin to see some of this resistance or behavior in your prospects, and you'll need to adjust your presentation. And as a prospect, it's good. If people are going to use those old-school techniques, it's good to be aware of what they're using and what's happening. Even in negotiation seminars, I'll teach the dirty deeds of negotiation. Not so people can use them, but to be aware what people are going to try on them. Now, on some past shows, we've talked about the four R's of resistance, and those are in episodes 61 through 64, respectively. And, of course, InfluenceUniversity.com is where you go for the free access to the archives of all the podcasts. InfluenceUniversity.com, also home of the Mastery Program, where every week you get a new tool or technique, quick video that you can watch, an audio that you can listen to, and some application to help you out. That can be found at InfluenceUniversity.com. And of course, while we're there, any questions, comments, rude remarks, bad jokes, what you want to hear on the show, uh, that is Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And the good news is we'll be on Spotify this week. And of course, we're always on Twitter at InfluenceMax, YouTube, Facebook, Interest, iTunes, all under Maximize Your Influence. So let's talk about this. Kind of a shift. We've been talking about all these years about how to influence people. How do you resist that? I'm just going to give you some techniques here that you can work through and think about. The first one is be evasive and vague with your responses. It's called fogging in negotiation. And the reason it's called fogging, it's like swinging a bat in the fog. You're not going to hit anything. You keep swinging and swinging, and it slowly wears the other person down. And you see it in politics, too, to where people never really answer the questions, and it just gets your head spinning. They'll say something like, well, what time did you get there? And you're like, I know. Could you believe it? The time it takes to get permission from the government, it's just out of this world. It just takes forever. I can't believe how much time it takes. And you're like, uh, okay, I didn't ask that. And they'll just keep swinging the bat, not hitting anything. And uh, that could be something you could do. Be evasive with your response. Be vague. Just like teenagers when you ask, where'd you go tonight? Out. With who? Friends. <laughs> okay. A lot of times those are vague responses because it doesn't give them any ammunition to lead you down the path of persuasion. Next one is act unimpressed and different about the product or service. Don't let them know you're excited that you love it. That's the worst thing. You'll love the house. You'll love the car. Careful that smile, that glance at a partner. You won't let go of the product. All of those things can really hurt you. You've got to be as indifferent as possible. And with that, too, never give away your hot buttons when you answer their questions. What exactly are you looking for? What does a perfect solution look like to you? Okay. So when they say, what exactly are you looking for? You're like, something that works. I mean, get the teenager out of you. Be vague. Don't give away your hot buttons. Don't let them know what you're looking for. And that gives you the upper hand. And as you do this, be observant and mentally aware of their persuasive techniques. Just take a mental note. Oh, there was scarcity. Oh, they just did contrast. Oh, there's foot in the door. Oh, these sequential requests. 
Oh, there's sweet in the pot. Okay. Oh, just saw reduce it to the ridiculous. And you just aware. You're making a mental note what's going on. Okay. Kind of important for you to learn as a persuader. Did they use it in a good or a bad way? But a mental note that the techniques they're using on you. And as they take you down that process, always be ready to get a second opinion. You have internet on your phone. Take a look. Consumer reports. Get a permission to make a phone call, talk to the competitor, see what's going on, get a second opinion, talk to another expert, talk to another salesperson in the same arena. That's okay. Do it right then. That gives you the hand up when you're talking about the world of persuasion and influence. And never, ever, ever get overwhelmed by power plays, uniforms, authority, their title. Oh, let me talk to the vice president. Let me talk to the manager. Let me talk to the boss. Let me talk to the CEO. Right? Those are power plays. I've seen it before in negotiations where it's just supposed to be one-on-one and they show up with six people with nice suits. That would be the uniform. And one's a lawyer, one's a vice president, one's a CEO. It's just a power play. (laughs) That's all it is. I saw this at a concert where this rent-a-cop was starting to harass people and wanted to do this and that. They tried to come across as a cop and they called him out. You're just a -a rent-a-cop. You can't arrest me. You don't have a gun. Go away. You have no authority here. (laughs) Called them out on that authority. Even though they had a uniform, they looked like a cop. They were just a -a rent-a-cop. Another thing, too, is always take time to think about things. They should be able to give you the time. They might sell you the sell-ins today. This happens. you got to do it now. And it may be true, but you have to be careful with that. I think it was one of the blunders a few weeks ago when someone says, you have to do it now, you have to sign it now, you can't talk to a lawyer Get your pen out. If you leave now, it's never available. Man, those are some serious red flags. If they're not going to give you time to think about it, red flag. And if they push you hard, again, there might be some truth to it, but you really have to dig deep and figure out what you want to do and what's going on. As they go through this process, too, don't get overwhelmed with all the facts and figures and what's happening. Feel free to take notes. That can put things on your side. You said, you mentioned, or the pressure they try to put on you. Especially that false scarcity urgency that I was talking about. They're going to get your greed glands going, as we call it, the industry. They're going to put you under the ether. Be careful that they don't back you in a corner, that there's other options out there, that you don't get excited because it's the last one left. You'll never see it again. It's going to double in price tomorrow. Careful with those type of things. And that's a good time to talk to somebody, to take a time out, to take a walk, to just kind of really understand the pressure they're putting on you and get you back to your logical side because your emotions have kicked in. One of my favorite things to do, especially in a negotiation, is to identify their persuasion techniques. <laughs> identify them. Is that a real source of scarcity? <laughs> or in negotiation, I'll say, is, are you guys using good cop, bad cop? Because this seems like good cop, bad cop. It totally neuters the situation. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. And then they'll deny it, but then they know that you know what's going on. Put you in a seat of power, we can say, as you go through the persuasion process. Go ahead and identify it. Walk through it and uh, identify the different techniques you're using. Many old school persuaders will try to put you on the spot, look foolish or awkward. you got to be careful of that. We see this in timeshares where they're just asking you questions, being friendly. And, hey, do you like vacations? Where was your last vacation? Do you love the beach? How often do you go to the Caribbean? And just walking through a few things, like, well, based on your answers, you're going to save $2,000 on this, this, and this. And they're going to make you look foolish. You don't want to save $2,000. You just, I answer all your questions. You 
gave me the numbers, and they will try to back you into a corner. And always, always, always question their intentions, their facts, their statistics, their, their statistics, their testimonials, their claims, and all their data. Ask the question, what was the year in that study? Who paid for that study? What university was that? What was the name and number of that testimony? Mind if I call them? Just call them out. Let them know you're researching, you're looking, you're talking to people. Can you give me three people that are using this product right now? And question their intentions, their facts, their figures, their statistics, their statistics, their testimonials. It goes a long way. Make them prove everything to you. What was best selling? Where, when, how much? Compare it. What was the number two? Find out if they know what they're doing. Well, show me. Make them prove everything to you. Don't believe everything they say. Then they know that you're not someone they can just pull the blinders on and manipulate you. And don't be a sucker for those who want to be your friends. And they're claiming to be just like you. Call them out. Really? I'm from California, too. Really? What city? What street did you live in? What high school did you go to? Really? I'm a UCLA fan. Just call and say, well, I don't like UCLA. They Sometimes they assume that you're an automatic Steeler fan or UCLA fan or a Green Bay fan or, or a Cowboy fan just because you've lived in those areas. Call them out. Don't let them bond with you. Say, oh, I hate the Cowboys. I hate UCLA. Whether you do or not, they're going to try to be friendly. Don't let them chummy up to you and try to be your friend and... Call them out when they're trying these techniques. Let them know, no, we're not here to bond. I don't need another friend. And don't be overtaken by those techniques, especially when they do something like, oh, how about I get a soda? Would you like one too? And you're, like, you're thinking, well, that's nice. Well, if you've studied the law of obligation, you know that that changes the playing field a lot when they've done something for you. Don't accept gifts at this time. Don't let them do things for you because that changes you psychologically and you want to help them out too. And go and do it educated. Know the strengths and the weakness of your competitors. We're going to say, well, according to XYZ Company, this is the case. They did this study. They did this research. And they worked through this. Know the strengths. Go in educated. Then they know they can't manipulate you. And then, of course, smile. Let them know that they're not getting to you. Indifference is such a powerful weapon as a prospect. Now, it kills you as a persuader because you don't want that indifference. RBF can be a good thing. Look it up. Google it. RBF. I suffer from it. It's when you just neutral face. You just look like you're mean and you're angry. So if you just kind of look there neutrally indifferent or, or angry, then all of a sudden they have to work a little harder and they don't manipulate as much. And final one, just use a little silence. Let them self-negotiate with themselves. You know, I was going to this negotiation. Everything was set up. It was employee leasing and I was just monitoring it. CEO was ready to go. Numbers looked good. And this wasn't a manipulation situation, but it was something about self-negotiation that you need to take a mental note on because it can help you as a prospect, hurt you as a persuader, to where the persuader says, okay, 3%, we'll do this and this, and then the RBF kicked in. Again, Google if you don't know what RBF is. And the silence, the indifference came in, and he's like, well, okay, two and three quarters. And then silence, RBF, two and a half. And then self-negotiated all the way down to 2%. So sometimes... That RBF, sometimes that indifference can go a long way. And so my message is simple. If you feel yourself being manipulated or taken down a road that does not feel right, implement these things. Work through this. Stay in control. And you get a better understanding of what's really happening. 
Now, the other point is, if you see your prospect doing some of these things, you need to reevaluate your message. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This resistance you're getting, you're causing it like what we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts. Be more observant and master the power of honorable, good persuasion techniques, not the cheesy, high-lactose ones. Because persuasion, if you use it the wrong way, can make people feel controlled or manipulated. And when you do it the wrong way, you might get these short-term, immediate results, just like hard-term closes get a 3% close rate, but a 50% remorse rate. That's not what we're looking for. So if you use the wrong techniques, that manipulation, you'll destroy cooperation, breed resistance, kills enthusiasm, stirs up animosity. Great persuaders know how to persuade, and that's your key here. So think about it, kind of a shift in what we've talked about, ways to resist manipulation, ways to resist persuasion. Just remember these tools and techniques to help you out. And as a persuader, you might need to read about your message and what you're doing, what tools you're using. But really understand the power of persuasion, how to influence, how to negotiate, and go out and persuade with power. 